This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart, you have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that with my mouth I will not transgress. With regards to the works of man, by the words of your lips I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths my feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries of your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadows of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Would you pray with me? O Lord, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. We remember the needs of those in our fellowship who are sick or not able to travel to church. Lord, would you strengthen them to endure these trials and continue on toward the goal of your calling for their lives. We ask now that the word, your word, would work in our hearts. And we give thanks in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. As we continue in the Psalms this summer, we come to one with the simple superscription of a prayer of David. A prayer of David. And so if you, if you remember, for those of you who were not here, the, the superscriptions, which are the uh, smaller case, small, smaller font, but all capital letters that, that start off in the psalm, those are part of the inspired text. The titles that are above that, usually in bold, uh, are not. They're just sort of helpful for us to find what we might be, what we might be looking for. So, In the Shadow of Your Wings is the title for this. That's editorial, not part of the text. A prayer of David, that's part of the text. And as we said, these are helpful, these little superscriptions, because they, they 
Give us some information. This prayer is another, it's a prayer, this prayer, it's a prayer. They're all prayers, but this is specifically a prayer. And it's another lament, although not as, as strong a lament as Psalm 13 from last week. We're given no clue as to where or what in David's life this is linked to. No clue. That's actually true of most of the Psalms. We can't link them all up to a particular event. And, and that's good because it helps us to see the Psalms as something that we ourselves can pray in our current situations. If you're being harassed for no apparent reason, this Psalm is for you. If your motives are being mistaken and you can't convince otherwise, this Psalm is for you. If you are being wrongly accused of something and it's bothering you greatly, this Psalm is for you. If you are being looked at with judgmental or condemning glances, this Psalm is for you. Here's our outline today. The eyes of the judge, the apple of his eye, the eyes of the enemy, and one satisfying look. Those, those will come up again, so don't worry if you missed them. So let's look at that first point, which is found in the first five verses of our text this morning. The eyes of the judge. Isn't it frustrating when someone does not see something the way you see it? Or their vision is distorted because they miss seeing something and so they're reading it wrong. You, you probably experienced that. Now we should always take a second look at our, at our own views or actions to make sure we're seeing the scenario properly or make sure that we have really done what was right. Don't ever assume that you have perfect vision and actions. But we should not just take a second look. We should also bring it to the Lord and ask him to examine our actions. Here they are, Lord. Examine my actions. Examine my heart, my motives. The psalmist David does this. In the first part of verse 3, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. So David has spent some sleepless nights, right? That's, that's what's referred to as you visited me by night. And through these sleepless nights, he's brought what's going on to the Lord, and he's confident that he's done nothing wrong because he's repeatedly brought it to him. Lord, here it is again. Please show me. There's... There's two extremes we tend to fall into with this kind of a scenario. One is thinking that we must have done something wrong, and that's why this is all happening. Or two, thinking, thinking it's not possible we could have done anything wrong. Like th those are the two extremes. We tend to gravitate toward one of these 
extremes or, or the other. If we jump too quickly to a plea of either innocence or guilt, we've got to slow down. We've got to slow down. If, if you are the, I must have done something wrong type of person, then bring it to the Lord and ask him to search your heart. Perhaps you haven't in this situation. It may be that you're innocent in the matter. If you're the, well, I possibly could not have done anything wrong type of person, then do the same thing. Go to the Lord for him to search you. Because maybe you are at fault to some degree. Maybe it's only 1% fault on your part. And if that's the case, own that 1% and repent of it and seek forgiveness. Also, remember, we like to vindicate ourselves before others. That's our natural tendency. But David models that he seeks vindication not before the others who are accusing him, but before God. That's what's most important. Listen to it in the first two verses of Psalm 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. See, there, there's nothing wrong with trying to get someone to see how you were not in the wrong. But many times, unfortunately, that can be a losing argument. If, if your hope is based on receiving vindication from someone else, you'll be left wanting and without peace, because that's not guaranteed. That's why our hope for vindication must be primarily with God. See, God, the perfect judge, has 20-20 vision. And if you are innocent of the matter, he knows it. And he will give you vindication and peace so that you can move on, even if the other party has an evil view of you and, won't, and it won't change. I, I know that's hard, but that's possible with God. Let's move to the next point, the apple of his eye. This is where we need to rest as God's children all the time. But especially when, we, when we're in these type of scenarios, right? like being falsely accused. There's a couple of word pictures or idioms that the psalmist uses here. Verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Right? The apple of my eye in the shadow of your wings. These images both paint the picture of care and protection. Right? The, the eye is so sensitive, right? It's often the first thing to be protected when, when danger comes, right? You kind of you squint your eyes really tightly and, and maybe even cover them with your hands. The shadow of your wings, different kind of picture from nature, pictures a, a mother bird with her brood, with her wings spread out over them, caring for them, protecting them. 
David is pleading for care and protection from the Lord. And, and what's his argument for this request? Verse 7. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from the adversaries at your right hand. David appeals to God's steadfast love. There it is again. This is our third psalm, and we found the same term, God's steadfast love. It's his covenant-keeping, never-failing, unconditional love. That should always be the basis for our requests to the Lord. Father, I'm asking this because through Jesus, you love me unconditionally, and you always act according to your love for me. That's true for the believer in Christ. And it's amazing. Because I, I, I never have to worry that God will answer me out of spite because he's, he's fed up with me. I never have to wonder if he really has my best interest at heart. I never have to pray small because I feel undeserving of God's generosity. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as your only way to be made right with God, then you are eternally loved. And you never have to wonder if he'll get fed up with you, if he'll leave you, or do something outside of what is in your best interest. That's God's steadfast love for his children. Let's move to the next point. The eyes of the enemy. So these verses from 9 to 12, they show us David's enemy. He says they surround him in the second part of verse 9. He can't get away from them. They're, they're, they're suffocating. He also says... They've surrounded his steps in the first part of verse 11. Right? It's like he can't take a move without being scrutinized or being judged. Have you ever experienced something like that? Or someone like that? You can't seem to do anything right or, or good enough in their sight. The second part of verse 11 says, they set their eyes to cast us to the ground. Their eyes, in contrast to the eyes of the Lord, don't have steadfast love toward you. Their eyes are like predators, and you're the prey like a lion lurking in the tall grass, eagerly waiting to pounce. Notice the balance in this prayer of David. The whole psalm does not focus on the enemy. It's important. Don't let those who are against you consume your attention. If you've been misunderstood or wrongly accused, it's so easy to let that injustice just consume you and just to be focused on the enemy. 
David has his prayer rightly balanced. He brings his enemy before God, but doesn't let that be the main subject. The main subject of his prayer is God. God's justice, God's love, and God's care. This makes a profound difference. As many of you know, I'm experiencing some difficulties with my back, sciatica, specifically. And, and I have improved greatly since last week, so thank you for your prayers, church. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. But I found it interesting that when I was counseling or, or deep in study, I tended not to notice my discomfort as much. It's not that the discomfort wasn't there or that it went away, but my mind was directed to something else, and things seemed better because of it. If, if that is true for us physically, how much more should our prayers be less weighted by our problems and more heavily weighted toward the God who can solve any problem and give peace in the midst of problems? David doesn't just complain about his enemy, but he petitions the Lord to act. Verse 13, Arise, O Lord. Confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the, from the wicked by your sword. He's basically asking God to stop them dead in their tracks. This could be hard to pray because we often feel like there's, there's no hope for anything to change. And if somehow if we pray that and it doesn't happen, it's because we didn't have enough faith or something like that. That's not true. That's not true. We have a God who, who loves his children. We have a God who resurrects. We have a God who transforms and a God who can make new. Through this prayer, David develops a different look. He sees these enemies who are tormenting him with pity. He lamented the lack of pity in their, in their hearts toward him. And that leads him to pity them. He says their portion is only in this life. That's something to pity because life is short. It's like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. They, they fill their lives with the treasures of this world that will not last. It says before they die, they, they pass on their wealth to their children. And that seems to be their satisfaction, the extent of their satisfaction at the end of life. They have no hope or have forgotten their hope, unlike David. And this leads us to our last point, one satisfying look. Because the world is not right, we can get mistreated, misunderstood, and falsely accused. We can easily think 
that we are the losers. David struggled with this idea because his enemies had refused to listen to him or even have any pity on him. Their hearts were closed to his case and there was only condemnation in their glances toward him. You see, we have a deeply ingrained sense of justice and fairness in us because, because we're created in the image and likeness of God. And so injustice toward us hurts deeply. It goes against the image we bear. A focus on the injustice alone will never lead anywhere good. It will not bring peace. Calling out to God for justice alone may not bring peace. God is perfectly just, but his judgment may not happen right away or even in this lifetime. And this is where the psalm takes an emphatic voice. As for me, that's the emphatic voice right there. That's the, that's the big statement. As for me, listen, what's coming? David energetically will not stay in the despair of injustice. He's moving on here. I shall behold your face in righteousness. See, David has already prayed big. Wondrously show your steadfast love. This, this prayer in verse 7 is, is reminiscent of Moses asking the Lord, show me your glory. The response from the Lord was that he could not see his glory and live. But in God's graciousness, he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, covers him, passes by him, and then permits him to see his, let's just say his afterglow. We have a promise that one day we will see God the Son, Jesus, face to face. In the description of the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 22, we're told that there will no longer be anything accursed. That means no more injustice because the perfect judge Jesus is reigning the darkness will be gone because of the fullness of the presence of the Lord it is then that we are told that God's children will see his face and that's what David is referring to here in our last verse He's looking ahead because he knows that he might not get justice in this lifetime, which is why he says, when I awake, I don't believe he's referring to sleep here, but to, but to death and then being resurrected one day. He says, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. We can rest in God's final judgment, knowing God will make everything right. Right now, 
if you are suffering from injustice, God promises, He promises to be with you. But He does not promise to make right every injustice here and now. So don't confuse the two. Just because you're not being vindicated does not mean His presence is not with you. Remember that God is with us now and that He will perfectly dispense justice. If not now, then definitely one glorious day. Seeing the face of Jesus one day will make all the injustice, suffering, wrong accusations, seem as trivial as losing a few pennies. That's because when we see him, the glorified body of Jesus still retains the scars. The scars of the cross where he went to unthinkable lengths to make us right with God. There will be nothing accursed in the new heavens and the new earth because Jesus became a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. When we see him face to face, we will be satisfied. Think of a, a time, a place, a moment in your life when you felt most satisfied. Right? You wanted nothing more in that moment. Now, of course, that moment didn't last. But that satisfying moment when you see Christ face to face will last forever. The 17th century Puritan pastor and author Thomas Watson tries to describe this future moment in biblically brilliant fashion. And don't get me wrong, thinking I'm really deep and I read the Puritans, okay? <laughs> this was in Spurgeon's commentary. He says, if there be enough in God to satisfy the angels, then sure there is enough to satisfy us. He is as much to be desired after millions of years by glorified souls as at the first moment. There is a fullness in God that satisfies, and yet so much sweetness that the soul still desires. We won't get bored. If there be so much delight in God when we see him only by faith, what will the joy of vision be when we shall see him face to face? He is better than anything you can put in competition with him. He is better than health, riches, honor. Other things maintain life. He gives life. Thus, God is the chief good, and the enjoyment of God forever is the highest joy of which the soul is capable. When we look at the moment we see Jesus face to face like that, 
like it truly will be, we will have the fuel to live in peace in the midst of false accusations, unfair judgments, and unwarranted attacks. I know, of, I know a future promise is hard to rest in. I know that. And that's why you need to do like you would if you're going on some new, exciting, epic vacation of a lifetime. Right? It, it, would, it would consume your thoughts, wouldn't it? You, you would prepare, you would, by knowing as much as you could about your destination, and you would look at pictures and you would watch videos because of your excitement of what you're about to experience one day, you would have a countdown in your home in anticipation of it coming. You would talk about it as much as other people would bear to listen to you. That's what we have to do while we're waiting to see our Lord. And when we do, when we do that, we will begin to rejoice now, now, and with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I feel like we've unpacked a lot in this song. And to have this sort of a mindset is just so different from the way our instant microwave culture works. And so, Father, thank you for these Thank you for these realities that we can, we can put our hope in. Thank you that, like, like a great trip that's coming, we can anticipate by diving in as deep as we can with it so that the excitement builds and that our hope is set secure where it needs to be. On our rock, the Lord Jesus Christ whom we will one day see face to face, and all things will be made right. Wherever we're at right now, maybe the psalm applies to someone quite profoundly and deeply. Wherever we're at, meet us there, Lord. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.